When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi and welcome to The Backstory with Claire and Susie. In each episode, we'll be hearing about an experience that has happened to someone that shaped who they are. 30 minutes that remind us that everyone's dealing with something. So we're a documentary podcast, a docupod. Except you made that word up. Okay, so I'm going to give you a bit of an intro to Naomi because she's definitely a woman of many talents. She's essentially a performer and she's had this really varied and very interesting background in the theatre. She also has an incredibly niche PhD looking at the role of actors and actresses in the suffrage movement. So there you go, that's... That's a new one on me. And to uh, start off, with, we thought she was two people, didn't we? Because she was Ada Camp. Yeah, she has this kind of alter ego, Ada Camp, as well. But you know, we didn't, we really didn't have time to to cover everything. Um, today's backstory: basically, we start off hearing a little bit about what drew Naomi to the theatre, but then we move on to you know what's the meat of the story, which is time she spent in a Romanian orphanage with young people with learning disabilities. Just a quick heads up, the conditions she describes are pretty hard to hear about. Yeah, I was expecting that because many of us will remember those images from 1989 when the world first became aware of like these conditions in the Romanian mm. orphanages um, and just how dreadful the lives were for the children who were living there. Yeah, and, and obviously with Naomi, the children that she was working with were were born, you know, I'm guessing sort of post 2000. So it just demonstrates how, you know, these issues are, are yeah, long-standing. We haven't gone away yet. So this is a bit of a different one because we're talking about Naomi's professional life, but I think that's a good thing because our working lives are a big part of who we are and they're part of our identity and part of our backstory. Yeah, I agree. Anyway, see what you think and we'll talk afterwards. Here's Naomi. I'm here with Naomi Paxton, a.k.a. Ada Camp. Hi, Naomi. Hello, hello. Um, so, uh, if you cast your mind back over kind of the course of your life and think about, you know, those peaks and troughs and all the little bits in between, um, can you think of a time that feels significant to you and, and can you think of something you'd like to tell us about? I think probably the first... Um, significant thing I can think about is when I first uh, realised how much I loved theatre and what the possibilities might be. Okay. Um, 
uh, kind of a combination of two things. I'm, I'm sneaking them in, yeah, but I think I was <laughs> I think I was nearly the same age. Uh, so the first one was um, I went to see a pantomime at our local theatre, and I loved loved pantomime. Okay. But I remember being in the audience and probably about seven ish, um, looking out and uh, seeing I think Cinderella or Snow White, whoever it was on stage, and thinking, oh my gosh, she's so amazingly beautiful, and being just being charmed by it all. And then when they when they asked for kids, I whipped my hand up yeah. and went on stage. And um, oh, you got picked. I got picked. Yeah. and went on stage. And when I got up close I could see how much makeup she had on I could see how much makeup everybody had on right and I was like oh they're not beautiful oh. they've got makeup on and that's wonderful okay and, and everybody else still thinks they're really beautiful but I'm here and I know that they're not they're just people but they've made themselves look beautiful and 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 that had a real I remember thinking being thrilled by the possibility of that that one wasn't kind of held to one's own appearance because if they can wear makeup and look beautiful well, then yeah anyone can wear I think makeup. so and, and because I I was very hard a child of kind of divorced parents I was very hung up on the fact that I looked like the parent I didn't live with okay. and I'm um, always hated the way I looked I think and and there was something about that I think probably in that moment that was like oh gosh you don't have to be held back or defined by this wow how old were you I think I'm probably about seven right and then the second one is probably about the same age maybe a bit older when I was doing a, a theatre summer school and um and I was given the part of a part or something. I had a funny line about Margaret Thatcher that dates me. I had a funny line about <laughs> Margaret Thatcher. And, um, and I had to go on and say, oh, I don't know, here are some men from the government sent by the lady herself. And I didn't get it. Yeah. Um, but the director told me how to say it yes. in order to make the joke work. And I did. And I remember on the day when obviously all the, all the parents and guardians came, everyone laughed. You got a laugh. And I had another yeah. moment of going, oh, they think, they think I know. They think I've made the joke yeah. here. So if I know how to say this or I know how to present it, I can communicate with a whole other... Like I can kind of kind of move in a world above myself, beside myself, okay. make myself look different, be different, sound different. And I, for me, that was like a, just a wonderful escape. I got a job as the actor-in-residence at a school called Christ Hospital, which is down in, in West Sussex, um, which is an extraordinary school. They all wear Tudor uniform and march into lunch every day. Mad. Brilliant. Oh, amazing. Wonderful. And I was the actor-in-residence there for wow. a year, which was a treat. Um and they had this Romania project as part of their kind of community work. I don't think even if someone had told me what it was, I couldn't have understood until I was there. We, so we went to live in this orphanage um, for a couple of weeks in in this place called Slobazia. And then uh, the idea was to work with uh, the kids there. Um, so I had... So I was there with a couple of um, English children, I'd, uh, children from the school. And then we had some uh, local teenagers um, mm. who came to be translators. And I remember asking, like, one of the drama teachers there, what, you know, in it, back at the school, you know, what should I do? And he worked with a lot of Down syndrome um, people, and he was like, oh, do this, do that. So I went out with a whole plan, mm. like a name game, you know, hello. Mm. So first of all, clap your hands and say your name. And then mm. we got out there, and it was like, we can't all clap our hands, we can't all stand up, we can't all say our name. Mm. We just have to rethink this completely. Um, and actually, I used to work, uh, help out with my mum's, uh, uh, in her ballet school. Yeah. With her classes so I ended up doing a lot of stuff based on kind of non-verbal and um, and music uh, things um, and and then every year so I went back for five years after that every year I just wanted to do better um, so the the kids we were working with were um, teenagers mostly um, considered to be special needs in quotes um, so they were in this in this particular orphanage they were mostly considered to be autistic spectrum although that's you know and they had lived in orphanages? Mostly, mostly for whole, most of their lives. Okay, so, I mean, would it be fair to say that some of those behaviours would have been, you know, um, uh, 
I don't know how much the orphanages have changed in the last sort of 20 years, but... I think what you might think of when you remember some of those videos Mm. that were... So we were looking at those kind of things. So so some were just kind of entirely Mm. non-verbal. Not that they were mute, not that they couldn't speak, but that it was safer for them not Mm. (laughs) to speak. Mm. Um, So there were kind of significant conditions affecting their movement and their speech... Um, lots of traumatic past experiences and and the carers would beat them um often wouldn't make direct eye contact didn't want to be physically touched had a kind of whole sexual disinhibition thing a lot of them have been abused right. um, or a lot of them would kind of openly start masturbating or things yeah it's kind of like obsessive gestures repetitive gestures yeah. um and reluctant obviously to participate in anything and often very very hungry <laughs> and um and uh just prone to kind of lashing out so it it was um it was a really interesting environment to work in. But what I realised over my time that we didn't have all the things one might rely on with a group of kids here or something. Um, uh, you know, let's all imagine we're this or let's all imagine we're that or let's all pretend. There, they had so little access to... They didn't have those experiences. No, or necessarily access to those reference points. Yes. And so we literally had ourselves. What we had yes. was our bodies and and um, our, our expressions and our voices. And those are the things we had in common. So that was the work we did um often the the things people might take out to them would just get stolen um Mm. so there was no point taking anything Mm. that made us look lovely we've brought you these lovely things it would just go yeah um uh, and anything that you brought would be destroyed they would destroy so and and the work would be taken away um because i felt some in some cases you know the authority the authorities or the orphanage authorities were very much sort of humoring us but there was a sense of danger you know there were there were definite definite physical dangers and definite serious punishments that the 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 children were subject to the children and young people were subject to that were terrifying um that we could only protect them from for a very short time and, it, and there was a sense presumably from the staff that you were in there observing things that you know that they would rather you didn't observe some, even well, if you weren't seeing the full extent of it I but yeah i mean i don't know I mean, we, i've seen i've seen you know, kids being beaten up horribly by big men who didn't seem that worried, and we would have um, we would have kids, you know, ask us for help because they were being taken away by men in cars, and you know, all oh. kinds of stuff. So, I mean, we stories and stories and stories, as I'm sure you can imagine. Um, but for me, I thought the one thing, I, the work I need to do, I need to needs to be in with the kids directly. Mm. That needs to be part of our experience because anything that isn't in them can be taken away from them um so we really need to think about uh engaging with with them as people and not making them do things Mm. um but looking looking at them and and thinking about them and working with them and communicating um and saying to them that they're important that their contribution was important um and that we could only it was only there was no point us being there unless they were in the room and, and mm. to have moments where we could say to them, Well done, you know, you're brilliant, or communicate or learn something or be part of a story. Mm. Um and not be teaching, uh, but just be experiencing with mm. them. And that work had to be done in their heads and in their bodies, um and and not through objects, which I know is funny because they ended up doing puppetry, but puppetry was really just the medium for that, mm. the, the conduit for that, because mm. uh you couldn't there were so many other barriers really to participation but actually then it wasn't about the the constant drip feed of language either it was about gesture and about body language and about music and about communication and not instruction all the time which for non-verbal traumatized children could be an amazing approach yeah you can't fake kind of sincerity really and 
I think I just wanted, I just wanted to share that space with them. So we basically developed um, kind of rod puppets, really simple rod puppets, um, and kind of bunraku style, so multiple person puppets. And that started, uh, so it was very much about what kids could do, really. Could, did they have access to, you know, could they do these things? Um, did they want to do these things? Mm. And how could we accommodate the huge variety of different uh, skills and mm. abilities in the room? Mm. Because there were some kids there who'd just been sort of in that orphanage. They didn't have any, any special needs. And they were very frustrated by other kids who couldn't. Right. So, you know, you're trying to accommodate a huge yeah. spectrum of teenagers, yeah. mostly teenage boys. So it kind of developed. And um, I was at the time living with a friend who was a prop maker. And um, we ended up making puppets specifically uh, to take out to Romania. So we made... Um, we molded latex heads uh, and I made sure that they so they didn't have eyes they've got kind of eye spaces but they weren't looking at you directly they didn't have mouths particularly so they weren't talking puppets they were very much directional so they've got they're friendly looking but they've just got noses so we can tell where they're looking um, so is that is that that sort of sense then that you can they can be anyone and anything that you want them to be that you're not making them too specific so there's there's a lot of space there for people to yeah. choose who they want them to be. Yeah, and you're not also you're not you're not telling the story already. You're not going. This is where the puppet's looking, or right. this is what the puppet. You know, it has a mouth, so it must be. You're not saying that. You're okay. just saying this is an object. Let's just play with this object. Right. So we kind of molded them in. We coloured the latex. So we made them in very like greens and browns. So very kind of colours. We we made sure it was coloured, not painted, because often the kids would put them in their mouths yeah. and we could wash them. Yeah. You know, wipe them down and stuff. Um, and then we made we made bodies. Uh, made them kind of detachable from the bodies. I mean, we made really, so yeah, no choke hazards as well. That was that was yeah. huge. So everything, you know, just stuff that it was obvious, really. But uh, I had never made puppets like that yeah. before. And then I was discovering actually, um, a lot of people were, were bringing. There were other classes, there were music classes, and kind of art, other things going on in other other rooms. Um, but often the kids would destroy things, they would break things, and that involved, you know, like killing small animals and they mm. would just break stuff. And I discovered through trial and error that just by by bringing a puppet to the groups and saying this is look at it it's it's this it's that describing what it was and saying it's nothing special it's only special when it's in your hand it's only special when we move it together they wouldn't destroy it then because it wasn't my special thing it was mm. it was something that we were all playing with mm. so it was a process ready to pop the question the jewelers at blue have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Wow! Nice! Yeah! What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. 
Um, really interesting. Uh, some astonishing things, kids that have never spoken before, speaking, you know, uh, extraordinary kids that you didn't think were paying attention at all, suddenly engaging and doing something so specific uh, that you amazing. went, oh God, you're absolutely in this room. Yeah. Hello, hello yeah. person in there. And and also realising how, however kind of weak they looked, that these were absolutely the strongest people and, and that a lot of these coping mechanisms were, were about protecting themselves. And, and that made absolute sense. Oh, huge sense. Yeah. Um, so a real respect for those, uh, for, for everyone. Yeah. And, and a real, just a desire to... I think just as a, de- a desire to share and to say to them, I see, I see you. Thank you so much, Naomi. Thank, Thank you. you. Claire, what do you think? Well, the thing about Naomi's story is that she was definitely the right person in the right place, wasn't she? There wasn't really a right time because it's just something that was ongoing. Yeah. But I just feel that what she did there was something that she sort of fell into, but was also something that very few people could have done. And what what do you mean? What sort of way? Well, the skills to understand how to communicate with these young people. They were nonverbal and there was no sort of way of using many props. Mm. Um, but also just having the resilience not to be overwhelmed by that situation. Yeah, true, yeah. It's like one of those challenges where you think, okay... They can't talk that well and we have nothing to, to sort of use. So let's mime. And then you realise that they don't have the capacity to like imagine a snail or like... Yeah, she kind of talked about, you know, not having those shared points of reference even. Yeah, so it must have just been so challenging and upsetting. Yeah. Um, yeah, and you just really struggle with the fact that these disabilities were caused by neglect and cruelty essentially and not, you know, they could have been prevented. Mm. Um, but I do like the idea that sometimes you can be, I'm not sure if it's ever happened to me, but you can be the right person in the right place. Mm, yeah. Have you ever had one of those times, Susie? What, being, <laughs> being the right person in the right place? Definitely not. No, I've probably been the wrong one a few times. Um, I'm just thinking, yeah, there was a time, actually there was a time when years ago, my neighbour's cat um, had been missing for you know, a good few days and I saw her on the street and she was really kind of frantic about her missing cat. So I said, okay, you know, I'll give you a hand and um, basically found the cat within, you know, the first few minutes. Oh, wow. Where yeah. was it? It was in a garage over the road, which I just thought was the most bleeding obvious place for a, for a cat to be <laughs> hiding out. That's where I would go. in the garage. Yeah, of course it is. Um, <laughs> I so, thought it might be up a tree. No, she... No. <laughs> No, but she was um, convinced that I was, you know, some sort of psychic cat whisperer. Oh, wow. So, you know, there we go. Right person, right place. I'll know who to call when I lose my cat. Naomi was working with teenagers, um, which is, you know, sort of notoriously difficult age yeah. group to work with. Yeah. Um, what do you think of that? Yeah, I used to work with teenagers. I, I think they get a really bad rap, don't they? Yeah. Um, you know, I've never experienced anything to the extent that, Naomi describes but I did used to do outreach work around drugs and alcohol um, and worked with some really really difficult kind of disengaged teenagers but I love them I absolutely love them I love that kind of you know uh, attitude where they can't stand you and they're calling you all the names under the sun and eventually you (laughs) you kind of you know but you know then you kind of earn their trust and I like teenagers I, I think they're going through a very difficult transitional stage and you know they they need we need to cut them a bit of slack sometimes don't we definitely and I know um you've done work with teenagers as well haven't you yeah yeah I've done my fair share of 
well, probably not a fair share, but yeah, I went, I went to South Africa actually filming with a bunch of teenagers. Okay. Um, and that they were kids who'd left care. That was um, quite challenging at times. Yeah. Probably not a good idea to take kids from South East London to Johannesburg. <laughs> In at the deep end. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, but it was really interesting. And it's always, yeah, it's always challenging, but kind of fun. And, but obviously these, these guys that she's working with are on, like on a different level, aren't they? Yeah, I mean, a huge level of need. I asked Naomi what happened to the work that she had developed and she'd actually been able to write it up into a teaching program. So that could be, you know, followed up by other workers in Romania. So it's good to know that that work hasn't been lost. Oh, brilliant. Yeah. I was, uh, you know, kind of going back to her story, I was really struck by how she was able to think on her feet. You know, she, she went out to Romania, she'd done her preparation, had some ideas about how to work with these young people. And then, you know, basically that all went completely out of the window didn't it when she found out that many of them were non-verbal you know what what else did you kind of take from her story yeah I mean I, I like the way that she doesn't pigeonhole herself um okay like she's a performer and academic and does direct work with young people I mean I think probably to be a successful actor of any type like you need to be able to be you know very like good at sort of changing roles and yeah that sort of you need that you? kind of agility and flexibility yeah she's definitely she's, got that hasn't yeah she? she has yeah um I think kind of inevitably hearing her experience you know made me think about all of the the backstories of of the children in those orphanages yeah. and, and what had become of them so I had a look online and there's a really great Guardian article which we'll we'll put into the show notes about this guy. I'm sorry, I'm going to butcher his name. So I apologize for that. But I think it's pronounced Vishnel Balan. Anyway, that's how I'm going to pronounce it. And basically, I'm not gonna correct you. no, no. Um, he was born in 1987. And when he was just a baby, just a couple of months old, he was put into a state infant center. Um, and he remember, you know, he describes remembering rocking himself backwards and forwards and waking up warm, you know, basically because he peed himself. And then when he was three years old, he was sent to a preschool institution where the children were beaten on the soles of their feet for wetting the bed. So, you know, still a tiny little boy. Um, Then when he was eight, he moved again. And within a year, he'd run away to the railway station. So, you know, you can only imagine how bad things must have been for him to feel that he'd fare better by himself. Um, He kind of moved around, lived in lots of different places. There's a monastery in the woods and a foster family where the mother beat him. But then kind of by chance, he met two of his brothers and was able to build a bond with one of them. Oh, wow. And with this brother, he eventually set up a charity to help teenagers. And, you know, he's done really well. And I was so kind of interested and surprised by his story because I guess you kind of assume that children who haven't had that loving and caring environment in their really early years are beyond help. But clearly, you know, this guy has an amazing success story. I think he he set up a charity where he went to university and then set up a charity which employs 35 people and helping teenagers. And I think he sees his role very much as demonstrating that 
you know, people can write their own future, that, you know, they're in charge of their own future. So, God, just, so do you think it's just like a remarkable character that enables you to be able to do well, that? Well, you, you know, I guess you've got to have those qualities of resilience and grit. Yeah. But, you know, it, it's incredible. So, as I say, we'll put the link to that in our show notes because it's definitely worth reading up on. That's really cool, yeah. And, by the way, do you know how all the kids ended up in the orphanages? Because I... Mm. Whilst we were researching this, I found out why. And it's just fascinating. I think because I was like 11 when, you know, they, this all came out. Yeah. I was kind of like, I didn't really sort of realise quite a, what had been going on before. Okay. Um, so basically, this is a nutshell description because I know I'm going off tangent here. But I just thought it might be of interest to people that yeah. in 1966, Ceausescu had grand plans for Romania when he came to power. Um, and he kind of borrowed from that, that 1930s Stalinist dogma that population growth would fuel economic growth. Okay. Um, so basically he put in loads of different like things to make that happen. So um, the birth rate soon doubled, but then the rate of increase slowed as Romanian women resorted to like homemade illegal abortions, mm-hmm. which obviously they often had catastrophic oh, results. God, yeah. Then they slapped a tax on childless people. Soon they banned the pill and condoms. And basically motherhood became this like state duty. Oh my God. Um, The system was ruthlessly enforced by the secret police. Doctors who performed abortions were imprisoned. Women were examined every three months in their workplaces for signs of pregnancy. And if they were found to be pregnant and didn't subsequently give birth, then they could face prosecution. Wow. And basically this policy, which was obviously coupled with Romania's poverty, which is also a massive element of Mm. it, meant that more and more unwanted children were abandoned into state care. And no one knows how many, but estimates for around 100,000 kids at the start of 1989 were in, were in orphanages. I'm sure that's an underestimate. I like don't know these things are. Yeah. Yeah. But after 1982, when Ceausescu redirected most of the budget to paying off national debt, basically the economy tanked and the conditions in the orphanages like, went even further downhill. Gosh. Electricity and heat were often intermittent. There were not enough staff. There was all sorts of abuse going on. Physical needs were assessed, but emotional needs were ignored. And basically, that's how, like, you know, what was revealed in 1989 Mm. came to pass. Yeah, and it didn't stop in 1989, you know, as evidenced by these children that Naomi was working with. You know, I think things are still bad, but... You know, they are improving. I know that the state has been trying to close down the institutions, um, but I think there's a risk now of people falling through the gaps. And uh, another link that we'll put up is to a charity that Naomi supports, which does outreach work and, and sort of supported living for young people, you know, who are basically being kicked out of the institutions and will have nowhere else to go you know would otherwise end up living on the street so great we'll put that, that link yeah notes. put that link in the show notes so before we forget do we have a podcast recommendation this week yeah we do it's this week it's the wreath lectures oh, uh by the lecture. yeah love a wreath lecture which uh they're put out by the bbc uh they're put out annually and i'm pretty sure that they're always done in a series of four um previous ones have included previous wreath lecturers have included grace and perry and hillary mantel don't know if you heard either of those yep, I yeah i asked hillary's last year and this year it's the historian margaret mcmillan she's talking about war and conflict mm-hmm. and really they are so worth a listen they're an absolute delight and they're completely accessible 
And I think what I like about them is that because you have this one lecturer working over a series of four lectures, you kind of get the opportunity to have you know these themes and ideas being really expanded yeah um, and you really detail. yeah you kind of feel like you're going into something in you know in a bit of depth which you know is a bit of an antidote isn't it to everything being presented to us in these bite-sized chunks so yeah wreath lectures available as a podcast highly recommended excellent thanks for that so no clip this week because claire both of your children have now had chicken pox haven't Yay. they um and you've been on holiday so officially we are flying by the seat of our pants we are but we will be posting on the backstory podcast on facebook and instagram and at the backstory pod on twitter with news of next week's podcast just as soon as we've got it ready. Um, search for The Backstory with Claire and Susie in your trusted podcast directory and hit subscribe. Um, I gather that a recommendation on Apple Podcasts will really help us. <laughs> okay, nobody ever mentions that. No, they never mention it. No, absolutely. But if you do review us, then a big thanks. We will be back next Tuesday, come hell or high water, with a brand new backstory. Hope to see you then. Bye-bye. Bye. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.